Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Michael John Simpson. My co-caster, Ash Jones, and I started this podcast to give voice to our passions. This week, our guest is LA Club and event promoter, DJ, KJ, MP3J, and creator of Ground Control Karaoke, Andrew Holguin. Andrew's been a fixture in LA underground, goth, and industrial club culture for more than 20 years. He offers Ash and I unique insights into gentrification, Los Angeles Latino culture, the history and promotion of LA counterculture clubs, systematic racism, ground control karaoke, and fundraising. I have to apologize ahead of time for the sound quality on this one. You can hear what he's saying, but Andrew sounds like he's on the other side of the room, so we'll definitely be correcting that in future episodes. Here it is, episode 7 of the Something Something Experience. We're gonna interrogate you for an hour. It's just I wear my It's just a general, uh, you know, conversation. Just whatever comes up, comes up, and that's kind of way we roll. Oh, that's all right. I so, is this lock? Yeah, it's adjusting the chair. Slow, all right, old. So yeah, um, hey Andrew, how you been forever? I haven't seen you forever and ever and ever. Hey, it's been a while. I know. I work in Moore Park now, so trying to get out to. Glendale for ground control is like an impossible thing on a Monday night. Where's Moore Park? Moore Park is out in between Simi Valley and Ventura. Oh fuck! That. If you keep going, <laughs> yeah, if you keep going out the 118, sorry, local local references here, but if you keep going out the 118 past Simi Valley, you get the, the 118 pretty much ends right. at the 23 right. in Moore Park. I mean, you don't want to drive all the way back here on a Monday after working the first day of the week. And then, <laughs> right, yeah. and then have to go all sure. the way home to Valencia. Right. More parts uh, spelled, uh, it's crap room spelled backwards. So. <laughs> nice. I never noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an accurate description. Appropriate, yeah. yes. It's appropriate. Yes, it is. So, so what, have you, uh, what have you been up to besides the usual wasteland and burning man and and uh and ground control and three rooms and how many different karaoke gigs do you have now oh god uh well let's see at the mondays at ground control complex i've got uh wednesdays at three clubs Uh which is really only one club but they don't know why they call three clubs um i think the name has something to do with cards or some shit like that uh that's wednesdays and then we just started for the month of october we're doing karaoke. Oh and yeah, that is with uh, a couple of people from the Dungeon Master crew. Oh okay, uh, they're doing the. They were able to get a night, a Thursday nights over at the CIA and uh, you know, over in uh, North Hollywood, Burbank area. That's yeah, that's <coughs> yeah, NoHo. I think it's the NoHo, yeah. uh, the 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 California, what, California Institute of the Abnormal Arts. Abnormal Arts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I actually did a couple of art shows there yeah. back and forever and ever ago. It yeah. was an attorney general played there. No, Noah yeah, had done right. Noah Corda Corda had there. a. Who runs uh, um, Bats Day in the Fun Park? Who's actually going to be a guest uh, in the next? Uh, I think next week actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, is uh, did yeah. a did, used to do uh, Fright Night, yeah. Fright Fest, or Fright Night, Fright, Fright Night. Night. Fright so Night. You, we would get together and they would sh- show on a big on a like on a wall. They would project old you know uh, horror movies from the yeah. 50s, 60s, 70s, Atomic Era stuff and horror movie stuff and all the stuff that is all. Uh, uh, not open source, but uh, all uh, public, public domain. domain. Public yeah. domain. The stuff that's not copyright. The, the stuff you don't get in trouble for showing on walls in a club anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, and that was fun. And then he'd have like kind of alternative artists come in and show their stuff. And I did, I did pictures, and we actually, did, I think we did a photo shoot there too once. Cool. <clears throat> There's this place in Burbank called Creature Feature, and they do like a, it's it's like a like a paraphernalia store. They sell a lot of like uh, old school props, and props stuff. and stuff. But they also have a back room where they do art shows and. Uh, 
You've been doing some pretty cool ones, man. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool ones. The, uh, this does seem to be the, the more than any other time, and maybe it's just because I'm not a part of that particular, like, the art scene, but I re- it really seems to be, uh, there, there's a ubiquitous uh, boutique art gallery presence everywhere in L.A. now. Oh, yeah. You know, I live in Highland Park, so I get right. a lot of it. You know, right. There's, you know, there's coffee shop. Now, you didn't used to be this way. Now, it's it's coffee shop, art gallery, coffee shop, and art it's gallery, just, yeah. coffee shop. Well, and you're near, near Eagle Rock, too, and it's, Eagle Rock's been like that for many years now, too. I will tell you that it's a very interesting story, and, and I'm sure this will... Whoever, there will there invariably be somebody listening to this at some point who will be like, I don't complain about it, but... Here's the deal. <laughs> okay. uh, Highland Park used to be, it's, it's pretty much, it's old East L.A. Right. And, you know, I come from, you know, a Latino family. Uh, you know, I grew up out in the San Gabriel Valley area, but we had a lot of relatives that grew up out this way, or for me, you know, that area. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I know. I, I mean, they shot uh, Up in Smoke down off of uh, Avenue 43, where I live off of, you know, because yeah. they wanted that desolate ghetto look for a <laughs> yes. white dude with a giant yes. birthmark on his face who sold drugs, you know. Um, what what happened was really interesting, because my wife had bought, uh, she, she works for a giant company, and uh, they uh, she had a lot of money in stocks. So at one point, when anybody's stock was actually worth anything, she cashed a bunch of it out and bought her house. And uh, she bought it for 250 I think, um, and it's right off of that, right off of the 110 freeway, <coughs> right there in Highland Park. That's a good uh, price. Yeah. Well, back then that was yeah. it was she paid that much for it because it was a newer house. Right. All the houses around us are all those vintage. They're all older homes. They, I mean, they're they're practically under preservation. There's a, there's now. a lot of like Victorian era houses in Highland Park. Uh, there's that whole row of, of the restored houses right there, Heritage Square. But uh, yeah. there are also a lot of the, just the general houses in the area have kind of fallen under that standard. But they were all run down and just you know. They'd been in, uh, in families of, <clears throat> of like uh, gangbangers for generation after generation since the you know forties you know since sort of, you know probably before that the, the whole Pachuco era you know zoot, old, zoot suiters yeah yeah, yeah. so Ooh. a lot of those families a lot of those houses have been in families for a long time and so you have this situation where you have these giant clusters of gangs and the Avenue Forty Three gang without hate, you know hating to give them any kind of publicity but the fact is they are one of the biggest and oldest gangs in. In LA, which is funny because the street's like four fucking blocks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, true. But uh, so there, you know, you have all these big gangs, and you know, Glassell Park. There's huge gangs. There's no so the avenues. Gangs have always been fighting with each other all up and down that stretch. Uh, so the property values were, you know, rock bottom. Yeah, you know, they weren't worth a damn thing. And uh, so my wife bought her house up in there because it was we kind of live up off the side of the hill. So you know, if uh, we're up away from yeah. the violence. Well, I mean, if you're, on, if you're on crack, you can make the trek up the hill. But if you're just a stoner, you're not going to go that way. You're not going to go We used to watch the drunk guys try to push each other up the side hey, of man. the hill. By hey, man, house. there's probably some really cool shit in that house up there. Yeah. Yeah. This house is closer, man. That's a long block, <laughs> yeah. I don't that far. That's the voice. That's the yeah. voice. <laughs> I'm not going to do that voice. <laughs> I was raised by you know, oh, yeah. people with that voice. So yes. It cracks me up every time I hear people talking about it. I, grew up, and, I grew up in Colorado, and, and even, it, even though I was in the northern <laughs> suburbs, of the, in the northern suburbs, so you've got effort. that stone white dude down. Yeah, yeah, right. But also, we had a lot. Our school was probably, at the time, probably 40% Hispanic. 
Hispanic was the word we used. We didn't use the word Latino. I didn't yeah. know that. Time. I don't think that word like, exists outside of California. Latino? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And, it's and, kind uh, of the and Chicano. Back in the eighties, everybody was a Chicano. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to say know? that was yeah. the thing. Is like yeah, it's like there's those those uh, right. it's the, the three shades of gray. There, right. You know? Right. Right. If right. If you're white, everybody's Hispanic. If you're you know brown, but you're not really brown, then you're everybody's Latino. Right. And then I think Chicano. Chicano. is still going strong. Yeah. We have a friend. She lives in in. What's that? Uh, the hipster area uh, near here? LA. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Los Angeles. Yeah. No, you're talking about um, Los Feliz. Uh, Los Feliz. Los Feliz. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, a, she's a proud Chicano, and she does Chicano oh, yeah, yeah, art yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. It is. It's a very positive culture, but it's just so tied. You know, so it goes so hand in hand with the whole. You know, the the you know Mexican the, gang, the gangster culture. Thing, yeah. you know, that one kind of assimilates the other. It sucks because there's a lot of the old, a lot of the older generation guys that are very proud Chicano heritage, Chicano culture. I mean, you could take Chicano studies classes in, mm. in college. Oh right? yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but you know, these guys that are really positive, uh, you know, icons in the communities that you know get kind of bogged down because people see them with the bandana or the Pendleton shirt and go, oh, okay, great, blah blah blah. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, you know, get, uh, long story short, there's you know we had that area, property values. Low, low, low. Our neighbor across the street, she uh, she has, before she moved in, it's a, it's a two-story house, and the front door was up on the second story, but the ladder, or the ladder, the uh, the stair to get up to the second story had no banister. Oh, and the entire front porch deck that goes around the front of the house had no banister. It was just plywood chunks. Wow. And the kids would play up there. We were always waiting, like, come on. They're going to fall. They're going to fall. Because fall. Fall. <laughs> um, I'm a dick like that. Uh, so Please be kind. They ran somebody, uh, after, uh, after Heather bought her house up there, uh, somebody decided that they wanted to put a metro running up along the Arroyo Parkway. And everything went batshit crazy. They, they laid out the tracks to go line. Property values went through the roof. And it was very, I, I liken it to... Uh, the way they got Al Capone because you know he, he mm. just wholesale slaughtered people and they couldn't get right. shit. They had to go like, well, what's tax the evasion? Thing? Tax evasion. We got him. All right. right. You know, he forgot to dot his eye here. We're right. Good. All right. So, so you're saying that that area of Highland Park is sort happened, of like gentrified now? Or well, that's exactly what happened. The uh, they ran the gold line through. The property values went through the roof. Uh, all the speculators came in, and started buying houses to flip. So you have these houses that have been in, that, that have been home to families for four generations, five generations mm. of people that have had been these little nests of gangbanger central, and probably know, not well taken care of, not very well taken right. care of at all. Get sold out from under them because the house was going for you know one twenty five, and somebody said, "Hey, I'll give you three grand or three three hundred thousand for that house right now." And the, the owners are like, "It's been in the family." Yeah, fuck that here. Yeah, <laughs> and then so they now, turn around and flip it for four fifty or five hundred. Exactly. Yeah. So now all these people are you know getting <clears> tossed out of the street, and the cops are having a field day with it because they're just like. Oh, to do anything. Oh, white people! Uh, yay, yay, white privilege! And then, yay. and then all those people go to fucking Moreno Valley, probably. Yeah, maybe Lancaster. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of area in Lancaster. You know? yeah. Lancaster. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, our, our neighborhoods are now a lot safer. Uh, I I think it's wonderful. There's, there's still there are still people that were smart enough to hold on to their homes, right? That didn't just sell them out. And again, you know, you have like a lot of the. Some of the older families, the Chicano families in the neighborhoods that were smart, that have seen the times change over and over again. They said, you know, screw that. I'm going to hold on to the house because I see that thing coming and I'm going to make money off of it. Right. And sure as shit, their property values went up. They still own the houses and now they're a little bit more well off, you know? Right. So everybody, you know, honestly, everybody prospered from it. Yeah. <clears throat> except for the people shooting at each other. Right, right. Um, well, so that, not, not, I mean, every, obviously every culture has their misspent youth uh, faction to it, so you know, not so bad to get rid of the the violence element of. I, of, I don't have you know, a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. I still see guys with tattoos and pendulous shirts up and down the street. They just have new shoes. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not really, uh, I'm not all busted up over it, you know? Well, uh, I don't schools... mean, the, I don't mean necessarily mean the people, I meant the actual, the violence, the, the oh, yeah, no, crime absolutely. and stuff. And, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's still not, I mean, I, you know, I honestly, in, in our neighborhood, it's still not great. We still have, the gangs are still putting their tags up in a very aggressive way, which really shows that they're, they're, they're kind of putting their feet down and standing their ground. Um, I don't like going out after dark by my house. I don't like going out during the daytime or over by my house. Um, it's, uh, you know, my son luckily looks so nerdy that he can get away with running down to the liquor store coming back, you know, for sodas or whatever because, you know, they look at him and they're like, oh, no, he he's not doing anything. No, no, no. We're <laughs> not, we're not, yeah. That no, saves me as well because I didn't yeah. grow up in a, in a great neighborhood but I look so nerdy when yeah. cops pulled me over they're like, oh, we'll just let you go. Oh, yeah. Go yeah. play your Pokemon games. Exactly. <laughs> no, so I was, yeah, that was, that was me growing up and it saved my ass. I, uh, we, our families, uh, my sister and I, our families never taught us Spanish. Because mm-hmm. we grew up in these areas where if you didn't speak Spanish and you were Mexican, you got your ass kicked, which saved my life. Kept me out of a lot of trouble because nobody, who was going to hang out with? All the other kids who got their asses kicked for us is speaking Spanish. So, you know, and that's how I learned to roll dice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's great. That area, it's really gone through a lot of gentrification. I have no problem with. Um, it's brought in better beer at the 7-Eleven. Uh, <laughs> Better, better quality wines. You, you know, heard it here, folks. It's true, man. <laughs> Micro brew beer, and you know uh, the the what, what has arguably been uh, widely been considered to be the world's most depressing Starbucks is now in my neighborhood. Hmm. Um, you know what I think is interesting? Every time they open up a Starbucks, no matter the neighborhood, you see the same type of people there. What's, like they, what's so depressing about your Starbucks? Though? Sorry, um, I didn't mean to the right. architecture was very under, underwhelming. Um, the parking lot is microscopic. Uh. Uh, it was. Put next to a, an old folks home, and there was this whole kind of weird, like lobbying, like, "Hey, we'll put money towards the old folks home." We're not old folks home, but the, the uh, senior center. Oh yeah. And so Starbucks said, "Well, you know what? We'll throw money at the senior center, you know, and and we'll spend money on our architecture so that it looks so when you guys look out your window, you don't have to look at this eyesore. It's still very plain. It's not even it's not even relaxing and you know white contemporary like Starbucks is usually are. Mm. You know, um, it's just this little." Shack, basically, a little blob with, of it, yeah. yeah. But uh, so the senior center, they threw money at the senior center, and of course the politicians stepped in, and they all decided that they were going to spend the money on. Uh, I think it was like a, they're rebuilding the facade, and they're putting in like a park in the front, and the, the seniors are like, "Fuck that! We want plumbing. Mm-hmm. Have you been inside the building? We would just like to have working toilets and sinks." Maybe some air conditioning. We don't give a shit what's outside. We're old. We don't yeah, care. We don't, we don't care, care what it looks. We wanted to function over form here, people. Yeah, and yeah. so a bunch of old, and it was awesome because apparently they had a community meeting thinking nobody, because nobody ever shows up at community meetings, except for really fucking old people. So all these old people showed up and started yelling at them. Was there like cane fighting at the pet the, 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 so. the neighborhood like, meetings? It was like, a, you know, a, a, super you know, slow uh, cane fighting. You know? <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was hoping to be like Tyrannus when these little old guys come out with you know, their canes and just start wailing on dudes. You know what is that? What is that? Uh, the gentlemanly cane martial arts that they have. You know, oh, the dapper. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember that now. <laughs> is that a real martial art? Martial Wasn't that from? There's an actual. Was thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a <laughs> thing where it's a martial yeah. art that's a old gentleman with canes. Distinguished gentleman cane. I think they kind of touched <laughs> like, on that on like Victorian Adventure Brothers and stuff a couple times. Yeah, where, you know, like the, the old guy who sounds like Connery, or Connery, who yeah. are part of the old team venture. You know, yes. the old guys who. <laughs> were all the the you know tra- the adventure friends of the dad of uh, I love that show for both generations of that. I love so that many reasons to love Venture Brothers. That's yeah. that's a, a great. Oh, show. you just like it because of Bowie. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, I do love Bowie. 
<clears throat> How many times have I mentioned Bowie? Probably every episode. Here we go. Every mentioning episode. Bowie again. Bowie. Bowie. Here's Michael mentioning Bowie. Bowie, 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 Bowie. <laughs> and Feminine. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's, that's a trifecta. Right so, uh, uh, Ground Control's been going for how long? 11 years now? About. Uh, we took, uh, we had a little vacation. Oh, yeah, when you switched venues, because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was time to move. Do, do you mind talking about why you moved? I mean, obviously, things have worked out very well at Complex, and it's nice that Mike has his own bar now, and blah, blah, blah. There are things... I was not... Pre- I, I, well, 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 let's put it this way, because of course, you know me, I'm the fucking master of diplomacy. And yes, yes, that's very true, very true. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable talking well, about. Well, I, I will simply say that there, you know, like any business, and you see this all the time, and it happens with clubs all the time, people, it's, it, it's so funny, what are the odds that a bunch of goth kids are going to get up in arms when something dramatic changes? Right. <laughs> you know, um, the fact of the matter is, is that you see it with clubs all the time, and we, you know, if you stick around long enough, you see it with nightclubs where a promoter comes in, they do something, after a while, something doesn't work out, and they move on, they move to another venue, and then they do something, and then they come back later on, and they do something else, and everything's fine. It just, you know, any given promotion has a certain flavor and a feel to it, and there are things that can either contribute to that or can detract from it. Venues change over time. They change their staff, they change their architecture, they change, you know, uh, ownership sometimes. Everything can change about a venue. Uh, and, you know, for me, with the catch, having had, I've been there for a while uh, working for Bunker, doing lights, so I started working for the actual venue and made friends with Jewel. And I still consider Jewel to be a wonderful friend and, you know, almost a mother figure. She's just an amazing woman, you know. There's a lot of people who don't like her, a lot of people who like her. I, as far as I'm concerned, I still get along great with her. Um, we had done ground control there for seven, seven or eight years, years. Seven yeah. or eight years. And, uh, you know, there were some staff changes and there were some policy changes and there was a few things that changed that just weren't working for ground control. So I sat down and I talked to Jewel about it and, you know, I said, well, can you, are there things we, certain things we can change? It's well, certain things aren't negotiable. I said, okay, well, uh, I don't feel like these things work for what I've been doing with ground control and, you know, I understand that these, this is the way things are going to be, you know, which is, it's your, your club. Your you club, know? you do what yeah. you want with it, yeah. Said, but this doesn't work for me, so let's, you know, I'm going to have to figure something else out. And we, so we sat down and we talked about an exit strategy and we came up with a great exit, exit strategy mm-hmm. which took about a month but mm-hmm. we had like four weeks of really fucking awesome stuff and uh-huh. we had a great last night there mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you know it was it was amazing and, and I can't think of a better way to end a run that long of a single promotion at the same venue for that long than to yeah. go out like that and oh yeah the door was left open if I ever wanted to bring it back I could bring it back if I wanted to do something else Right. You know, Jewel's always been really, really cool with me about anything I've ever wanted to do there. I've done stuff that has been tremendously unsuccessful, and we had a great time doing it, and she would give me an opportunity after that and say, well, all right, that didn't work, what do you else you want to try? You know, and so I love my relationship with her. My working relationship with her has always been fantastic, you know. Uh, she always gives me a really good deal on what I'm doing. She's very, I think more so than with other promoters, uh, she's always been very... Uh, accepting and encouraging of me trying to do things that nobody else is doing that are usually terrible ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, but at least you're trying it. You're, you're, she's been around you're, so long. You're, she knows. you're maintaining truth to your vision and your exactly. and your, your. Well, and I think that I think that you know, by virtue of her the, the longevity of her owning a venue, I think she's like, well, this is my cost for for letting him try to pull this off is negligible. If he nails it. It could be a big thing, and if it's a big thing, then I'm on the ground floor of that, and I can make a bunch of money, you know, 
we can we can and if not eh, no harm no foul right I'm not going to lose that much money on it exactly so you know and I try to help out you know she has the nonprofit stuff that she does there with the you know alternative medicine clinic and, and everything so I try to help out you know doing fundraisers for her there helping out around the club in and of itself I haven't been back there in a while I need to go check in because it would appear that she has decided to try to sell the venue oh yes she has made the formal announcement the declaration that she is putting it up on the block so. How do you get started with uh, the whole, you know, owning a club, running running clubs and all that stuff? Well, you mean as a promoter? As a yeah. promoter, yeah. Yeah, he's um, yeah promoting. Nowadays, uh, you decide that you're a DJ. Then, when, you, when, <laughs> then when, when none of the other promoters would book you, you start promoting yourself. Uh, you know, you find your own nightclub so that you can DJ because nobody else will hire you as a DJ. And then eventually you either become a good DJ or you become a good promoter. Or sometimes you become both. And... Uh, then it goes from there. It's, it's, it's honestly that straightforward. It really is just... It, uh, we've, <laughs> the conversation, we've had this conversation over a lot of, you know... Just, all right, so... Everybody who goes to a nightclub that goes and has a great time and goes for more than one week, if, let's say you go for a year, you could go on the same group of clubs, like the goth clubs or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. You go to all the goth clubs. And I've seen it happen with hip-hop clubs too, same thing. You go to all the clubs and you're like, oh my God, this is fantastic. I can do this. Why can you do this? Because I know what it takes to make people happy in a nightclub. Do you? Well, you know what it takes. You know what you want for you to be happy in a nightclub. But that's not always something that's deliverable by the promoter, by the owners, by you know the DJs. But people always get it in their heads. Well, I could do this, but I could do it better. You know, uh, for me, it took me a long time to actually start doing my own club. I always, for me, it was always about backing somebody else's horse. Right. I worked for Control Factory. Yeah, you were Control yeah. Factory. That's when we met. You and I met yeah. back in 1998 at, at, at the Pro. Yeah, at the Probe and at uh, Fang Club sometimes and Control Factory yeah. and. All those clubs that are no longer around. There was about 15 years where we never actually, I don't think we ever set foot in a, uh, a venue that wasn't a gay run club. Right, right, right. Like the Probe, I mean, the, there was a there was a big, uh, and I don't even know if Who knew the, name of the club named the Probe was going right, to be yeah, Right, yeah, yeah. It was this big two-story gay club, and and on on <laughs> certain nights, on Sunday nights, it was a goth club. Right. And on other nights, on, on like Fridays, it was Control Factory, it was, it was in, industrial. In California. And then were, Sunday, well, in, it was the goth club. In L.A., there were two, the two, I will say that the two big A clubs were if you were black it was the catch because you know back in the 60s 70s you know they people were not only segregating between gay and straight but they were segregating like the gay scene was still very divided as well um, if you were white it was the or white or Latino basically uh, uh, Hispanic right it you was were still white apparently so <laughs> they would let you in the probe the probe yeah um, and the, like at the beginning if you watch American Gigolo they, they, the directors sat down and went we need the, like, the stereotypical gay club that isn't the Blue Oyster Bar that isn't right, the, uh, right. that isn't uh, Spike right because that was the other stereotype right, was right, the leather daddy bar right right, right right uh, but uh, so they went they, you know they went and shot at the probe was it, was it normal for, for goth people to congregate at goth cl- at gay clubs in the weekend no I'll tell or, you why I'll tell you how this happened once upon a time all the good clubs were underground clubs Literally, they were underground clubs. They were illegal, like speakeasy level of illegal. Mm. Uh, I remember the That's first time. That's even into the 90s. My friends took me to my first club, and I took out my ID, and the, the person at the door, and everybody in line laughed at me. Because <laughs> they're, what the fuck are you doing? Who cares? Do you have money? Yeah. All right, get in. You know? Yeah, go in. Yeah. So it was like, you'd go to a warehouse, 
And yeah. bolt cutter break in the warehouse kind of. The club stuff. scene was very much like the rave scene was in the nineties. Well, the rave scene started out of that, right? You know, right. Uh, but the, w- using those when clubs legitimized as venues and started carting people and blah blah blah, then the rave scene kind of shot off into its own little thing and still was in the warehouses. Well, in the here's how that flowed. The uh, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was in the nineties. So once upon a time, all these clubs were underground clubs. They were doing weird places like, uh, you know, uh, 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 strip mall complexes. Yeah, and somebody yeah, had yeah. somebody's damn security guard had a key to yeah, get in yeah, there. Yeah. So people would roll in the sound system. You call uh, I forget which of the guys you call, but you call one of the guys and be like, "Hey, I need uh, I need sound for you know a thousand people." All right, no problem. The guy would roll into the sound system on a flatbed truck. <laughs> uh, uh, call beer boy. Beer Boy, yeah, I got a thing, I got about a thousand people, here's his directions. Beer Boy is this guy who would roll up with a truck and they'd roll kegs out and they'd set up a little bar and they'd sell beer. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was, everything was very mobile, so when the cops came, everybody got the fuck out of there. Isn't the beer lady still around? I'm the beer, there's the beer lady in the valley. No, I don't no? know. No? Okay. I never went up in the valley. Okay. We don't have any, there are, there are no friendly houses in Tuluk Lake. <laughs> um, so, you had all these underground clubs. Very illegal, a lot of fun. You'd have, you would go and the music would be very eclectic. And that was where I was inspired to, like, when I decided I wanted to DJ, I wanted to DJ, DJ in that style, where you would hear every type of music completely mixed into each other. You'd never know what song was going to come next, what genre of music was going to come next. You, you would have a group of skinheads, and you'd have a group of cholos, and you'd have a group of punks, and you'd have a group of ska dudes, and you'd have a bunch of metalheads, and you'd have all these little, you know, factions of people, and everybody would get along. They wouldn't necessarily be buddies with each other, but everybody would get along and, and coexist, because as soon as there was a fight, the cops would roll in, and, and we're all, like, felony breaking and entering, you know, mm-hmm. contributing to delinquency of a minor, drunken public, yada, 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 whoever's using drugs, because there was always rampant drug use. Oh, yeah. Was, you know. Because who cares? Yeah. Um, because underground <laughs> so <laughs> everybody would behave you know and if there were fights you'd see guys like you'd see two dudes from two different scenes and their clusters of friends would separate them you know and police you would police your own you yeah, know sure. and you, you would find if there had to be a begrudging piece you would find a begrudging piece but everybody had a great time and so everybody was there to have a good time there was never like I had never uh, I, in the entire time I'd gone underground clubs I'd never seen a stabbing never seen a shooting never really seen a real real fight I'm not talking two drug guys talking shit and smacking each other around a little bit I mean like you know you, you never, never saw, saw the, somebody wind up in a hospital or no, somebody no. with a bitten off ear or no, whatever yeah. no uh, so uh, you had all these underground clubs and then one night and it was a New Year's Eve in New York and there was an old blown out building that these kids had kind of gone in abandoned building got in set up this huge you know rave party and there was a fire and a bunch of kids died and that next night Vice on both coasts systematically shut down every underground club that they could find and I mean just completely just, just leveled the underground scene hmm. just entirely just wholesale and over fist gone so you had all these promoters you had Michael you had Mike and Bruce Gary Blitz you had all these guys who were like fuck what are we going to do you know uh, Billy Limbo um, oh, there was all the, all the underground promoters or all trying to figure out what they're going to do. And they're like, well, why don't we just go talk to actual nightclubs? We've got, we have DJs, we've got music, we already have promotion, we know how to get to people, we have our phone lines, right. we have the mailing We list. already have a flyer, dis- we already hire people to hand out flyers at other places, we already put, put up posters at record stores and this and that. Maybe we already have this, kind of go legit. this network of being able to communicate with people mm-hmm. and saying, hey, if you like this, come here. Yeah. Uh, at this time, at record this place. Stores and all that. Right. Melrose, back in those right. Melrose. So... They go to the they go to the nightclub, and so they go. Let's say you're 
let's say you're Mike Hell and you want to do Control Factory. You have this industrial underground club. And you want to go and you want to do a club. All right, well, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, the Palladium. Hey, so I've got this club. Really? What do you do? Well, I'll put the kids in black clothes and we listen to weird electronic music and uh, sometimes goth kids hang out. Yeah, we don't do that. All right, cool. Let's go over to the palace. Hey, I want to do a club. I gotta, what nights you got over? Well, what do you got? Well, it's, you know, electronic music, a bunch of weird looking kids, and sometimes goth kids come and hang out. Um, no, no, there's no, that's not our thing. So you do that to about eight or nine clubs, and you get the same runaround where people don't want to have any part of you. Then you wind up, oh, well, fuck. All right, let's go to, uh, you know, details. Oh, no, it was a radio. Radio. Radio on Melrose. It was a dyke bar, I believe. Right. And you go to radio, and you go, hey, so I want to do this thing. Oh, really, what is it? Well, a bunch of weird kids. Oh, really? So nobody likes your people? No. And you guys used to, like, being ostracized, and, and everybody looks at you funny. Yep. Yeah, so, sounds like your kind of people. It sounds like our yeah. kind of people, right? You got cash? Yeah, all right. There you go. There you go. That makes total sense. That's so started, yeah. that's how it started with all the gay clubs. Started, you know, you would always, you could go, you know, if some place would 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 hold a drag queen night, they would have, they would let you have a goth night. That was kind right. of a general, pretty much, yeah, yeah. You know, as far as if there was, concerned, if guys there was in a skirts and lipstick, or guys in right. skirts and lipstick, and they didn't give a shit what shade you were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Really yeah, if there was a subset of that of that at that time, that culture, if there was a subset of it or a counterculture element to it, then they'd let us in. They would let the goth kids in. So Well, and I think you also had that element with the scene too. It was like that was the funny thing, the goth scene was like it was like being in Lancaster, everybody's buying on drugs. Right. You know? <laughs> it was that was all you had to do. So like, you know, all the guys were all the guys, all the girls, I think there was like me and like four of the people were straight in the goth scene in like the the early nineties, you know. Because that just seemed to be the nature of things, you know. People didn't. It was people really didn't give a shit about anything, in a good way. That was the good side of apathy. Um, a few years back, I remember hanging out in the uh, smoking patio at Dust Bunker, talking to a bunch of younger guys, and just like, "Hey, so, you know, why is it that we had lots of really good angry music, and the generation before us had lots of really good angry music, and you guys just put out music about fucking?" Like, well, because we just don't give a shit about anything. I'm like, okay, you know, look, when when we did the whole apathy thing in the industrial scene, it was actually a joke. We were joking about being apathetic. We were fed up with things, and we were we were feigning apathy. You guys got that, right? Because now you legitimately don't give a shit about anything, and that scares me, mm-hmm. you know? That, you know, you're just, you're, you're okay with putting all the fucking noodles and shit in your hair and putting on the goggles that you can't see through and your six-inch platform rubber boots, but you really, you want to look the part, but you're not really angry about you're, anything. You're, you're, not, you're not walking the You're walk. angry about having to pay, pay full price at the bar. That's what you're angry about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to hear a bunch of shit from this later on. <laughs> it is the internet. Wait, wait, you said only two people listen to this. So but, you know, it's... It, that's really it. That's like I'd, I'd rather see people pissed off about things and disagreeing with me. I'd rather argue with somebody than have them not. You know what the irony of that is? Is there's there's so much more to be pissed off about now oh, yeah. than there was back then. Yeah, but people are somehow subdued by the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing too. Was hanging out in the uh, hanging out in the same smoking patio and listening to guys talking about fucking faggots and fucking homos and blah, blah, blah. like. You, you know where you're at, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, you know what at. this bar is, right? Yeah. You know who's here every yeah. night except this one, right? Yeah. You, you know. And, and if that little old, you know, uh, uh, lesbian black lady that you see with the dreads in her hair hobbling around here hears you, she's going to smack the taste out of your mouth. Right, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah. people don't realize. She used to be, uh, she used to be amateur boxing. Yeah. Ooh, so, yeah. 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 She's a, she's a, you know, there are some people who don't get along with her. There's, there are a few people that get along with her. 
Uh, there are some people that absolutely adore and worship her. There are some people that think that she's like the worst person in the world. But I will tell you that having been around Jewel and seeing her deal with shit that we forget that is still around, you know, uh, there was an issue with, and I don't want to go into too many details, but there was an issue with uh, uh, Vice had rolled in one night with uh, the fire marshal mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. a health inspector, all mm-hmm. in one child. They don't do that. They only do that when somebody pays them to all get together and gang up on, on a venue owner. Right. And, so uh, clearly somebody with had it in for The Jewel problem was is that she had opened her doors to uh, some promoters, that, uh, Korean promoters that were doing rave stuff, and Koreatown's right there. Right. So the Koreatown venue guys got all upset about it, so they paid off the guys they needed to pay off. So there's this little old lady standing there, and there's these you know, fire truck and all these big dudes and cops and badges and the whole nine yards, and they're all trying to take a piece of her, and they're all yelling at her, and she's just standing there like, fuck you. You know, well, you know, you don't, you don't have this permit. Well, actually, I've owned the building for forty years, so I don't really need that permit. You know, there's all my all the all the shit that you guys are complaining about is grandfather clause. You know, well, you know, you didn't have this inspection, and we need to we 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 heard that there were rats, and she's like, well, they probably are, but here, here's the deal. Here, this is the last time you came and inspected. I've got all my paperwork in my hand. I don't have to look for it. Um, you know, the fire inspections are all done. Here's all the stuff that I am, am uh, you know, have to be worried about. Here's all the stuff I don't have to be worried about because of how long I've owned the venue for. And uh, she finally, you know, she's like, what, what is your real fucking problem? One of the guys in and tells her, well, you know, you really just need to stick to your own kind. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, it blew me away because it's like, really, we're still... Yeah, that's still a thing. It is. Yeah, that's still a thing. It never goes away. And, and I think one of the reasons why some of us, I think the reason why some of us are so pissed off about it right now, this period in history, is because there was a time of a time in history in the last twenty years where it started looking like things were going to get better, and it started to a little bit. It started to move in that direction, and it seems like in the last. 10 years we've gone or the last 15 years we've gone backwards and it, 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 it the reason why I'm so pissed off about it it's because it's 2014 and we're still dealing with it. Oh yeah yeah. I will say that I think things have gotten better. I think things are probably better. I think things In some are, areas I agree I with that. I think that in many areas in most areas things are quantifiably better but the people that want to make things worse while are they are a smaller minority, they're a more vocal minority, and, and they, they have vote more. more yeah, that's right. They, plus, they have they have uh, they have groups that represent their ideas and give them an excuse to be open about those things, like the Tea oh, Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they're people. they're affluent. They're affluent. They have money, and they they're they the conservative people tend to save their money away and are conservative with their with their finances. So they have this this financial base, as you said, to draw from. I think that we have a generation where there is... Uh, there are some legitimate frustrations. I have friends... I have Caucasian friends that have difficulty getting jobs because of affirmative action, because there are people filling those shoes. They, you know, the, uh, the attempt at equalization and balance and justice... Uh, while these are noble things that we should continuously try for, those things do not put food on the table for those friends with their kids. At the end of the day, they're getting shafted by a system that is inherently being racist as well. Right. Um, right. They don't. They don't have an opportunity to cash in on their white privilege. Right. You know. 
Um, yeah, there are definitely some I think, because of the affluence factor. There's some. Well, yeah, people, yeah, no, no, or the yeah, lack of affluence. Go, watching the whole thing move back and forth, I really think what we have is you have those types of frustrations, and any you know, like racism out of anything is born out of fear, born out of frustration, you know, um, and when you have those two things, you need to have control. So you look for somebody to blame. Once you have somebody to blame, then you can assert your will on those people and feel like you're justified in doing so. You can take out your frustration. You can vent yourself. And if you dominate them, then your fear of your personal situation, since you're projecting it on those people, goes away. So now you feel like, oh, well, I've done better. Right. You know, it's this whole bullshit thing, but human beings are human beings, you know, and we're soft and mushy and we fall for this shit. So yeah. Yeah. I think that you have, like because said, deep party, down, I think what we have in these, these scenarios where things are, you know, people have these uh, undercurrents of racism and they don't, because they are inherently good people, they don't want to acknowledge those things. So they try to get to the root of those things. Well, why is it that I don't like black people? Why do black people scare me? You know? But they'll think through the whole process of like, well, because the media's conditioned you to feel this way, because you've listened to all these other people, you've heard generations upon generations of people who have created these uh, bullshit stereotypes and scenarios. It's a big math thing, you know, and you could spend all day coming up with reasons why you feel the way that you feel, or I feel the way that I think I feel what really whatever. puts it into focus is when you, when you compare the history in this culture to other cultures, uh, and the fact that, you know, the ideas that get propagated, like you said, in the media, that's what fortifies these, you know... Um, opinions that people have on other people based on superficial things. Well, I think people have also been conditioned that, like, I know when I was growing up, my parents were like, well, you, you know, my grandfather, you need to be informed, so you need to listen to the news, you need to watch the news. You Not can be me. informed without listening to the news or watching the news. But right. now what we have in our generation is the flip side of that. Well, I have the internet. I don't need the news. Oh, yeah. You know what? For all the bullshit and all the media control and my own personal flavors of conspiracy theory with regard to the, the mass media, at the end of the day, there are some sincere journalists who bust their ass to try to make sure that they have validated Right, their, and know, trying to... But, but, but finding their, their those these days, finding people who aren't directly towing the line of whoever owns the network that they're oh, working yeah. for is tough. But now, but it's what you hard. Have now on the flip side of that is you have everybody with an asshole and fingers to type with how it has now as an opinion mm-hmm. that they can invent as fact. You know? Or you got these assholes who who like do their own podcasts. Dude, you know, hey, what's up with those assholes that do podcasts? Huh? Am I going to sit through one more of these self-informed motherfuckers? That, uh, and they come in pairs. That's the worst. Part. <laughs> well, it's more fun that way. Um, they breathe heavy in pairs. So going going back to, uh, I want to rein this back in a little bit. Wait, to, talk about racism or gay clubs? Um, well, <laughs> it involves both. No, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about That's was fashion racist gay club. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, reining it back in a little bit to your uh, personal history, as far as what you've done. I mean, talk about talk about ground control because it's 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 an, uh, I consider it to be an institution. I've heard people from other states talk about it. I've heard if, people from other places, other things, and even people who have much wider audiences than ours talk about it because. I've been to karaoke, I've been to karaoke in other states, I've done things like that, and a lot of times there's all this big stigma about, oh, karaoke, blah, blah, blah. But ground control is a, is a, it's a singularity, it's a unique thing. I feel very strongly that ground control is, in fact, an institution. And by institution, I mean that there are batshit crazy people in it, and there are psychos that run it and nurses their forms. So yes, very much. <laughs> we have been institutionalized for a long time. Uh, when I... When I started going to clubs, 
uh, I, you know, after going to clubs long enough, I realized I want to be a part of this. I like what's going on. I, this is the first place, I, first time I've ever felt that I've had, including, you know, my, you know, uh, ethnic culture, including my territorial or regional culture, for lack of a better term. Um, this is the first time I actually felt that I had a culture. To me, the, the, the goth and industrial subculture mm-hmm. was, it had culture. It wasn't These just, are my people, it right. It wasn't just a scene. It wasn't just a fashion show. Right. These, there was a lot of really crazy undercurrents of shit there. Modern primitivism, technology, evolution, gutter tech. Uh, music was a big part of it. It will always be a big part of anything, but it wasn't the cornerstone of it. It wasn't about going out and dancing. It was about weird up to weird shit and all of this. Yeah. Um, it was the first place that uh, I felt at home by, you know, by being raised in, you know, La Puente by bikers. <laughs> you know, my, my uh, self-identity was very, very blended and mangled. And so uh, being able to find a home where there was a bunch of nerdy kids in leather jackets and mohawks, uh, I was like, this is heaven. This is, this is I've, my people. I have found my tribe. Uh, so I, I, you know, I thought to myself, I want to be part of this. So I started, I talked to Michael, and he gave me a job handing out flyers, because nobody likes handing out flyers. And right. I'm that idiot who wanted to go to every club five nights a week, and I was yep. like, oh, I'll do and it. And you did. When we met in 98, oh, man. we were seeing each know. other out at clubs oh. all the time. And you're one of the people, there's like three people that I still know that I knew from then, because I, I took a break from the clubs in about... 2001 because apparently I said something wrong to somebody's girlfriend and pissed somebody off and so I'm like okay fuck this I don't like being threatened so I'm just not going to go out yeah. for a while and then I met uh, I met um, a friend who um, started hanging out with friends who went, was part of the somebody that you know and uh, started hanging out at clubs again and I kind of got back into it about 2003 2004 yeah. And so I'd taken this break, and in that time, the Probe went away, and uh, other other venues, Orsini's yeah. and Luna Park, and the clubs weren't at those places Luna anymore. Park. Luna sorry, Park, sorry, yeah, because fan clubs at Luna Park, yeah, yeah, yeah. after it was at Orsini's. That was a great place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I started going to, instead of Mike Hell's clubs and Evil Club Empire, it was Christian's clubs, and now Christian, and she has clubs all over the place. Yeah. And so I started going to those clubs. and uh, But it was the same people, mm-hmm. just kind of, but a lot of the people that uh, I pissed off or whatever back in 2001 were now marrying off and having children and weren't going out anymore so there was this new crowd of people that I was hanging out with and who also knew those people yeah um but then you and I reconnected when I started going to ground control yeah and you remembered me and you were very welcoming and embracing and like yeah I remember you from 98 St. Michael we used to hang out yeah I was like oh my god the other old guy he's not dead either yay Uh, but yeah, when you do it long enough, it feels like hundreds of years. The people that I knew in '98 were you and Noah, and I kind of peripherally knew Heather, and I, peripher- yeah. you know, there was a. Few well, I remembered people. you from Catherine. Yeah, Renta. Yeah, yeah. So Catherine Renta. Renta. Yes, well, yes, yes, and she yeah. now lives in Colorado. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, I guess um, I started working in clubs hundreds and hundreds of years ago, <laughs> before the dawn of time. Back in the 1900s, children. Yes. Um, <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it really was. When I started working for Mike, he taught me, I mean, it was the whole, like, fucking weird Jedi Master thing where I'd sit next to him on it, you know, and watch him work on his computer. That was like, I would spend hours I remember when you shaved your head and the long braid in the back. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and you whined a lot about Heather. <laughs> I do that now. You do that now. <laughs> um, but it was you know, it was a trip because I would watch him. Like he gave me my first computer, my first three eighty six DX. Oh wow! Jesus. Yeah. Um, 
I uh, I'd always wanted to learn how to get in computers. My dad had bought me a, a Commodore a long time ago, and I really couldn't get my head around it. And so years later, I start working at clubs, and my you know it's like, well, I do it on a computer. You know, awesome. Well, how do you do that? Showed me how to do it. So I learned a little bit of graphic design. Uh, he immediately hammered the stupid ideas I had about graphic design out of my head. You know. <laughs> Um, for Mike, it was always about originality, and even more so than in a Andy Warhol kind of reconstructivist kind of thing that a lot of people were doing. You know, you'd see that in a lot of flyers. Where right. Take art, cut it out, boom, boom, and he was like, no, 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 no. Design, 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 design. You know, originality. Don't just take somebody Your else's own idea, right? Don't take. Like, what do you mean I can't scan this awesome picture out of this comic book and make a flyer out of it? Don't no, make, no, no. Don't it's make good. a collage. Yes. And use it as a flyer. Yes. Make draw your own thing. Right. Create your own thing. Take your own photograph. Talk about own the importance of layout, yes. about fonts, and just the basic stuff. He's like, you know, you don't. You technically don't even need a piece of art to make a good flyer. Yeah. Um, how to get your information across on a flyer. You can have all this bitch and stuff, and the font can be totally awesome, but if you can't read it, then people aren't going to go. Right, right. You know? Yeah. I know it's a goth club, but don't use the London yeah. font. Nobody can read that exactly. shit. <laughs> Less is more. Don't put everything in the, you know, don't write everything down on the flyer. It's a flyer. You have a quarter page to tell people that you have a cool thing, come to it, they can figure out the rest when they get there, you know? Uh, Mike's thing was you should be able to design a flyer and if you're a good promoter, you can promote a club without ever having to say who the DJ is. It should be about the club, you know? Otherwise, why don't you just call your club, you know, this is club so-and-so, this right. is club so-and-so. Right. Mm. Who gives a fuck about the name of it or the other stuff because you're only promoting the, 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 the DJ. If you can create a club that isn't based around any one person or any one name, you can then bring in people, you can rotate people out. If that DJ is sick, you can throw somebody else in there without somebody going, hey, hey, and it'll so still be the same thing. Right. And that DJ can go and be at other places. Other and things. it doesn't matter because this because well yeah. it's like it's like I've said with our podcast, by virtue of the fact that it's you and me and our our ids, our psyches. And and our words, it make that's what makes it unique. Yeah. Yes, we talk about a lot of things that a lot of other people talk about, but it's our voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the club should be that collective voice of that. Group this of is people. why clubs are different. Right. Yeah. So I worked with Mike and learned a lot about a lot about clubs, a lot about everything, <laughs> learned a lot about business from Mike. Um, just you know, Mike was an aggressive business person, and he could be. You know, because the way that club promoters are, uh, Mike was the first one to tell you, don't, don't, don't trust club promoters. Fuck you, you're an idiot. Don't, don't trust promoters. I'm like, Mike, you're a promoter. He said, don't trust club promoters. Yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> me. Know? Even it's, me. It's, we're all in it for the money, and anybody who tells you anything different is selling something, and they're not selling it very well. Right. You know, he's like, look, the underground scene. The whole, the whole point was we could make money and not have to pay taxes and not have to have day jobs. You know, that is why we do what we do. Right. You know? Right. Um, so it was. It was. It was honesty. It, not necessarily globally true. You know, it wasn't a universal truth, but it was. A, it was a profound sense of honesty that I always got from him. That, Do you think uh, that anything got lost along the way? Be, be, oh yeah, in the transition of on absolutely, the absolutely. I, I started giving a shit. Started caring less about the money. Started caring more about people, and became you know a, a humanitarian on some level, and just ruined the whole fight. And I think, but, uh, and, and but, joke about that all you want to, but that's why people will gravitate to you. That's why people coming, why people coming back. And that's, that's why, that's why ground control is a unique experience. I like doing it because I have the opportunity to do that and it makes me feel better. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But, so, um, so one thing I learned from Mike, the biggest thing I learned from Mike was whatever you're going to do, don't do the same shit that everybody else does. Be original. Otherwise, there's no point, you know, you see it all the time. You told me, you, you watch, look around. 
every time somebody gets a bright idea, they want to start their own club, they want to go do something on their own, and then they do the same shit that everybody else does. You know, they think that they're going to do a different thing, they want to do the same thing. So now we have one more competition that may not be a very good competition, but it's one more club that we have to contend with. So if you're going to go out and do your own thing, do your own thing, and don't compete with me, not because I don't want to compete with you, but because you shouldn't try to compete with anybody. Right. Go do your thing. So if everybody's being individualistic, there's no yeah, need for competition. Exactly. No need for competition. So when Control Factor closed, I went and said, "Do I want to? Jump? Is it time for me to do my own club?" No. So I started working with Pete over at Crouch. Uh, I worked with Jeremy doing a Nocturne Lounge, which was awesome and horribly destined to fail, but fucking great. There was yeah. one night we had like our opening night. We had like all the other promoters, no actual like four patrons. <laughs> You know, or, or eight patrons, but four of them were promoters that had their own clubs on other nights would come to come visit and hang out at our thing and get out of their clubs. So it's just like, dude, that's a success. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was that. There was a, a Bunker. You know, I worked for Bunker for a while. Um, you know, I worked for a bunch of different clubs. and Because every time I came to it, I went, you know what? The last thing the scene needs is one more fucking club. I'm going to find somebody who I, that, that I believe is doing the things their way and I'm going to offer up my experience and my service to them and work for them because that's what makes the scene stronger. It's not everybody going out and going, well, I, they're doing it wrong. It's, well, you know what? Go find somebody you think is doing it semi-right and go help them do it more right. You know, that's what makes things better. I want to take somebody else's product and make it better. So I did that for years, years, years. Finally, you know, working with Bunker, had the opportunity with uh, the catch because I got to know Jewel. And I thought, fuck, you know, Jewel, you know, she'll give me whatever I want to do whatever I want. What do I want to do? What do, what can I do that I can still do with this scene, but that nobody else is doing? I don't want to do the same shit that everybody else is doing. You don't want another club. You don't want another club with the same. I've got a terrible idea. I want to do goth and industrial karaoke. Because <laughs> I remember when I first started going to goth clubs, and everybody was having fun. It wasn't. Nobody was taking themselves too seriously. No. Nobody was like in there. Those were all the hardcore goth and death rock people, and they were like, you know, goofing off, and everybody. People were. You go to clubs and people would smile and laugh and have fun. That's what I wanted to do. So I said, "All right, well, how do I do that? What's the, what's a terrible, terrible thing? karaoke? God damn it, let's do this." <laughs> and so I said, "Well, shit, I've never done karaoke, and I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, you know, I don't do karaoke." Well, you run a club. So I went out with uh, my friend Marshall, and he took me to uh, Liquid Kitty, and I sang, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, was the Doors? Uh, I think it was uh, "Hello, I Love You." Was the first time I ever mm-hmm. done karaoke, mm-hmm. and. The only reason I did that is because I knew if I could sing anything, it was either going to be Billy Idol or The Doors because it's re- if you do either of them, you're doing both of them. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Uh, and I knew I could nail that, so I went and did that. And that was it. And it's a short song. I'm like, all right, all right, cool. I've done this. Now I know. You know, um, I had fun doing it though. So you know, when it came time to, to do my own club, I, I had an idea where I wanted to go with it, and uh, that was that's how Grand Control started. I mean, really, was trying to do something different, and then I kind of expanded that into. Uh, general alternative music because uh, our first year I had like 12 discs you know? yeah. I had more mm-hmm. people than I had music you know uh, and uh, we were still doing it on CDs and uh, uh, Seraphim had come out and, yep. uh, and volunteered to uh, run the deck and then DJ for me at the beginning of the night and then he would DJ at the end of the night yep, yep. it was a lot of fun Gen Z was part of that right, right. Uh, they helped me start Tina Tina if it wasn't for Tina yep. there would be no ground control yeah. uh, but uh, so that first year you know I'm like shit man trying to figure out where to get your music trying to save up you know, nickels and dimes I'm getting like to buy new discs to buy more old, and, and, you know. 10 people in the door and you know you had to buy whole CDs and if you mm-hmm. wanted to buy the custom CDs where they, you could you could decide what songs go on the CD that cost even more 
more. So I was like, shit, man, I'm not. I'm these, not discs, these discs cost a lot because there's a licensing component to it. Yeah. It's not just the music. It's the yeah. fact that somebody has taken this song and and not just deduped, devoked it, but uh, create. You've hired a they've hired a band to come in and play this song without the vocals. The so that and then yeah. put, took the time to put the words on it. But there's the licensing component because karaoke has a licensing component. If you're too. selling the disc, then you have to pay just like a regular CD. If you're making a compilation, you got to pay the royalties for the uh, composition. Or if you hire your own band, then you're you're paying for the right. performance, but you still have to pay for the composition. Right. So it was this whole big thing. It was expensive, and I didn't know where I was going to come up with the money. And I'm just trying to figure out. And then uh, one day, this guy uh, Howard comes rolling in the door, and it's like, "Oh, hey, you know, I live, I live, you know, mile away from here, and I, you know, somebody told me about this place, and this is really cool. You know, do you mind if I bring my own CDs?" I'm like, "You know, I don't have anything. I guess, you know, if you really want, if they'll get you to come back, if, you know, to, if you bring stuff that, you, that I don't have because you want to do it, it, but if that if that means you'll come back, then yeah, go ahead." He comes rolling back in with this book of like 500 bits. It's like here, you know, I'm like. Oh, okay. He's like, no, 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 just hang on to it, you know? I'm not, they're just sitting in my garage. And it's all this amazing music of, like, all, he had, like, I'd say about 150 of the discs were, were the custom organized ones where you go on the website and you order 10 songs. Holy. And then, and so it was all this really, there was, there were no discs with shitty songs on it, yeah. you know? There was yeah. all this really cool new yeah. wave music, like, all this alternative music, yeah. all these different genres. Yeah. So I was like, well, why am I just beating the dead horse of, you know, goth and industrial. I mean, I love these are my friends, but I want, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, whatever you discover, goth kids don't want to sing goth music. They were the one of seeing David Bowie or Depeche Mode. Right. <laughs> Every fucking time. That right. makes total sense. Yeah. Or you've got the goth kids who want to sing Avenue Q or, or a Disney well, tour no, or whatever yeah, but like saying, that. But in right, general, right, yeah. But yeah. You know, it's a, right. definitely expanded. But so we had all this just amazing, Howard rolled in just completely blew our all You usually get people that just want to sing like Throbbing Gristle and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's some Throbbing Gristle Jason in there. Jason uh, wants to sing uh, uh, Fetus whenever he can. Oh, oh yeah. 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 yeah there, there's, there are songs at Ground Control that exist nowhere else in the, in the world. And no other karaoke at venue in the world. The one that really because uh, I was looking at the list on the website and uh, you have Natural Born Killers uh, the Dr. Grey Ice Cream yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, in my head I want to see Goth key, Kid sing that song. <laughs> you would be some Eric Schneider. Eric Schneider, Schneider. <laughs> whitest guy on the planet. Yeah, whitest guy on the planet. Yeah, he's got like gray temples. Eric Schneider, man of the leisure. Very so white, he's blue, and he's just so white, he's little, and he's doing. And then well, he'll bring his parents. Incredibly well thought, yeah. well thought out, well spoken. Yeah. very very uh, mild mannered, yeah. very soft spoken, erudite. Yeah, yes. And, and then, then he'll get up there and 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 rap like a thug. And and yes. if his parents are there, he'll take. Out the cuss words. Yeah. He'll he'll yeah. Are you he'll, he'll, edit he'll, he'll edit himself. It's yeah. amazing. It uh, uh yeah. When uh, Kiki, one of the uh, DJs from the yeah. Saturday Night at the uh, Catch One, had come out one Monday, was just like fuck. Yeah, because <laughs> he yeah. plays all the contemporary Stone yeah. Cold yeah. fucking gangster yeah. shit. You yeah, know? and he just blew his. Think mind. the think the opening scene of Office Space, but oh, yeah. a smaller, whiter guy. Yeah. Michael, Michael Bolton. <laughs> it was yeah. exactly yes. Yes, yes. Michael Bolton. Yeah. yeah. Um, that and, uh, and uh, Black Sabbath. Or yeah, Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, my yeah. whole thing was always singing girl songs. I like to sing in a falsetto. I think it's been well established. I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, clearly a dude, but I don't make no case for it. <laughs> and I like singing Portishead and, you know, other stuff where well, I can use my, the falsetto. My, my favorite performance to this day, I have to say, because I hate, I hate, I, I don't do contests. I don't do like if we ever do a competition, it has nothing to do with how well you sing. Right. You know, 
nothing to do with that. We just don't, we don't do that shit. For me, I don't care. I'd rather have somebody up on stage who cannot carry a note or hit a note to save their lives who is having fun. Yeah, who can sell it. it? It's it's about it's about selling it. It's about about just. Bear, taking your soul and just plopping it down yeah, on the stage. Those are my favorite people. Right yeah, and it has nothing to do with whether you can retain a key yeah. or not. Mm. Um, uh, I story about that too. It's very brief, but uh, yes. Yeah, so you know, we love doing that. Uh, uh, Jason Lee. Oh yeah, Glory yeah, yeah. Glory Box. Yeah. And I did that one. I did that it's one a great too. Song. It's just one of those songs. That well, I remember the first time that we finally got Life on Mars, yeah. and you told me you're like, "Oh, it was amazing." Yes. You know, you're like, "I don't know, dude. I don't know if you're going to be able to nail this one." <laughs> I don't know, man. And I got up there and just. Well, I don't think I known at the time that you were like so, like you know, you you belong to the first. Uh, Church of Bowie Orthodox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a high priest at this point. Yeah, so they're yeah. really high priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, no, it was... Uh, it, Pope status. Yeah. It's, uh, mm. uh, the first time we had something like that was... Uh, was it was a one skate night, and so Coleman had come out dressed as a ninja on, on rollerblades, and he sang uh, Miss Me by Dresden Dolls. Yeah. And we got a video. Oh. So here's this skinny white dude on roller skates <laughs> dressed as a ninja singing a song... That was written for young girls. That image is amazing. For I those sent video for, to Amanda Palmer, and she wrote back, and she's like, "This is the coolest fucking." Thing <laughs> for those who don't know, Wump Skate was a goth industrial skate night uh, held at World on Wheels down in the middle of Holy shit. the east. Yeah. Is that East LA? No, where is no, that? No, no, it's it's Crenshaw area, Crenshaw. Yeah. Arlington Heights. So yeah, I want to ask you: do, you: do you ever get famous people or semi-famous people drop by? No. No. Wink, wink. No. <laughs> um, depends sometimes. Because um, like Chloe rolled in with uh, with Sam from uh, Being Human. Yep. Oh, uh, that was the most recent one. Um, yeah. We got uh, Paul Jurgensen. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Abraham Ben Ruby. I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, played Kubiak. Yeah. On uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Bonnie Gordon. It's funny. Apparently, I'm the only one who ever watched that show because I'm always like, Oh my god! And he was laughing when I told him that. And he's like, Dude, You're you're like the only person. Well, ever Bonnie Gordon, who I actually met at Ground Bonnie, Control, Bonnie, she's yeah. uh, oh, she's on uh, on the the. I forget she's famous. Now. She's famous now. She's on <laughs> she's on the quest, and she's actually going to be yeah. a guest on this podcast too. Oh, nice. So yeah, you awesome. reminded me, Howard. I got to talk to Howard because oh. the picture of everything. Talk about a creative guy. It's another another friend of mine my that we story, need to have on here. Stories. Yeah. My story is pale compared to Howard's. Howard. <laughs> And you usually involve a uh, lot less fecal matter. Um, mine. Do. Yeah, yours do. Yours do. Yes, yes. No, Howard is amazing. <laughs> Howard's yeah, amazing. You, you would have to do, I think you'd have to do. Okay, the way I am about Doctor Who and Bowie, he is about Doctor Strange. Oh, we need to have him on here. Uh, yes. For I think sure. you've got, Howard's like a two-parter, maybe like a, a four-part, man, because Howard's just so, he's one of those people that's just so awesome See, and amazing. Yeah. And so me and him are going to geek out over the uh, Sorcerer Supreme. Sure, yeah. sure. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, want to talk Marvel? Had, he goes down the Marvel I rabbit hole. Ha- officially, has the second most complete, comprehensive Doctor Strange collection in the world. Wow. In the world. In the world. And, and, and that's he's about like, that's about to appreciate because of the movie that's coming out. He's yeah. he's he's uh, he's been rec- officially recognized by people yeah. for this. Oh my he, God. He's buddies with the guy who has the number one spot, and they still right. like the guy is still be like, "Hey, did you hear about this? Do you know where I get one of these?" You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. shit! Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's and it helps when he puts on the costume. He fucking looks. Oh, like he that. fucking looks like yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he does, no, he does, like, yeah the cape the oh yeah, like, yeah. No, like, he's got the whole he's got oh he's got a full on yeah, yeah full on cosplay con awesome. that's yeah. just to it his ex wife used to dress as Clea for him yeah back. yeah that's like, pretty cool I don't it's kind of like when Coleman <laughs> dresses up as Littlefinger which is almost which always creeps me the fuck it's out so good it so creeps me the it's fuck so out so good although uh, Lord Baelish yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay cool yeah. although uh, uh, Daniel and Tina as uh, 
Hodor. Oh yes, yes, yeah. as Hodor and Bran. That was yeah. amazing. <laughs> that was great. That was amazing. They had the they had a uh, at Comic Con was yeah. it this year. They had a, a whole Hodor. Game of Thrones meetup, meet and greet meetup uh, of you know cosplayers. And yeah, our friend Tina, who um, she's recently impaired, recently impaired. So. Uh, so she got a wheelchair and we got a bunch of furs and stuff. And then had a big friend of hers dressed up as Hodor, so she was you push her around the cart, <laughs> push her around the cart and like a wheelbarrow, look and like yeah. a wheelbarrow, and he yeah. went around saying Hodor, 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 and it was amazing. It was, yeah. it was. He should have put on like the big schlong underneath. Should have right? put on the schwanz, yeah, the, yeah. the giant. It's like, yeah. well, I've heard about you, <laughs> yeah, Hodor. Um, but that's kind of shit. Like we do shit like that too. You know, we do. Uh, you know, people want to do a costume. Like we did uh, the one that we pulled out of our asses that zombie. Oh, zombie yes. Oki. Nice. Where you show up either as a zombie or a zombie hunter. So everybody shows up, you know, and, and it's amazing. And there's blood and gore. And I'm sure there thing. were a lot of Rick Grimes. Oh, no. No. We didn't have any, no. No. The people no. are a little more original than that. This okay. was, uh, cool. was right, it was probably the, a couple of years before Walking Dead started. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. were well into our zombie yeah, Oki's yeah, yeah, by yeah, the time yeah, that hit. No, no, it was... Uh, These are the people who've been into zom- dead, zombie culture. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People who were into zombie zombies. culture way before it became a thing on, you know, on cable. Oh, we got, like, a Tom Savini here and there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of That thing. caliber yeah. <laughs> So we did that. We did... Uh, what else did we do? Uh, shit. That was kind of the... That's the... That was the big one. The other element to ground control that's always really been very touching for me is the, the as you said, the humanitarian aspect to it of whenever there was a member of the fold who needed help, who needed to move their mom to another place, or who was out on the street for a couple weeks, or who had this big bill that collectors were coming after them for, or had a medical expense, or had this or that, or, or somebody was just kind of down on their luck... Andrew would hold a collection for him, and he would donate a portion, if not all, of the door to that to that cause. And, well, I and think also the uh, for me the the big part was being able to do charity, you know, donations for anything. Because at the end of the day, I made I'll say that I made so little money off of it that it was easy for me to just take the whole door and be like, I'm going to donate this to something, you know, because I can get by without that, you know, or you know, you'll do a couple of weeks or whatever, do a food drive or do whatever we whatever we can do. Uh, it was really more about getting people to participate in it than the volume of money that we can generate. Although we've done some stuff that was like really amazing, you know. But at the end of the day, it was like uh, I had a friend uh, who worked for a benefit that went down to Mexico and would pay for kids' lunch and for their school books and backpacks and things like that. And you know, for me, it's like, well, let's see, I can, let's say I get five bucks. I can almost buy a drink with that, or I can buy a kid lunch for a week. Well, fuck, you know, if yeah. I make five bucks ahead at the door, then, right. you know, I can, I can walk home with a hundred bucks tonight and put some gas in my car and, you know, maybe pick up a video game or two, get a pizza or something, whatever, you know what or I mean? sometimes would take you know, my wife to movies and, you know, almost. Pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Take out a loan just to go to the movies. Yeah. Um, wasn't there a, t- a couple times where like people were doing like the AIDS walk or something like that, where you said if you sign up and pledge, um, at the, you know you can get in free or you know that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Stuff like the, that. It wasn't even just personal causes. It was also bigger causes that people were passionate about and saying, I want to, I want to do a fundraiser for yeah. this for breast cancer or for, when, uh, or for bowling for bowling for boobies. Right. Eric would you know be on the team and then right. be like, all right, let's throw yeah. some money at Eric. Yeah. Eric is our yeah. host. Uh, you know, there, whatever I could do, it, it, 
was a very small thing for me to be able to do it. And basically, I'm just like, well, oh, I put a bucket out, collect a bunch of other people's money, and then give it to somebody who needs it. This right. is great. I can. I love this shit, man. Right. And uh, you know, it's even on nights where I stood to actually make a decent chunk of money, it was still more worth it for me to do something. Because at the end of the day, I can go home and I still have. I, can, I, I don't have to sleep in my car. The fact that I even have a car to sleep in is awesome. Uh, you know, I've got a house, I've got a wife, I've got a kid, I've got cats, we've got TV, I've got food, I've got, you know, I live in a very luxurious lifestyle compared to a very significant number of people on the planet. So I can afford to blow off a hundred bucks or two on a week to actually put it towards something that will significantly help somebody. That will change somebody's life yeah. for that moment. Yeah. In a very literal way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the hard part is, is you know, for me, it's always, it's tough because you see other promoters that do like... You know, oh well, we're doing we're doing a benefit too. Oh, and then oh yeah, we we give up five percent of the door, ten percent of the door. But then I have to, you know, I there's that self righteous part of me that's like, well, fuck you guys, I gave up my whole hundred percent of my door. But at the end of the day, I also have a wife that makes considerable <laughs> considerable much more money than I do, and you know, I'm not that's not my day job. There's you know, you get guys, you get people and guys and girls out there that they're. Their job is doing clubs. They subsist they DJ off of the club. and they promote and they go out and you know they they, did, they do their own design. They do their own flyers. They do their own flyering. You know they do seventy five percent of the work, set up and break down. They do everything that it takes to actually throw the event. And they rely on that. Money. Yeah, they rely so, on that door to pay you know, their bills. Far, you know, it's, it's you know I can't front on somebody for you know even donating some part of their door. You know, at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, if you're doing anything, that's better than doing nothing. You yeah. know, and those yeah. people deserve just as much credit for it than you know, me who you know, virtually a kept man. You know, I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not beholden to that money. I just I I get to enjoy the fact that because I'm not beholden to that money, I can make it go farther. I can do cooler stuff with it. I can throw it at things, and hopefully, you know, I honestly, you know, if I do a charity contribution, the publicity that I wind up getting out of it for that charity is probably worth 10 times the money that I actually made able to throw at Because really, when you think about it, where where we're living in the point of history we're living in, where, as you said, such a significant portion of the of the population is living below the poverty line and having, way, having it way worse than us. Yeah. And what's money for? Well, what, to buy a bigger TV, to buy, you know, to buy a, a, a DVD, to buy a video, to buy, you know, a big, a fancy car? You know, what, really? I mean, if you're, if you got, if you're comfortable and... You can you can take a part of your money and make it to, and help somebody else survive. Yeah, we're not. I mean, we're at the point where we're not surviving. We're we're living comfortably. Yes. So you can help somebody actually make it through the next fucking day, exactly. the next week, the next month. Yep. You know, and so what's money for? <laughs> I think the only, the only hard part is is while it would be very easy for us to do clothes drive clothing drives. I don't know that we, any of us own enough practical clothing. <laughs> you see uh, a bunch of homeless people dressed like <laughs> dressed like skinny puppy oh, or whatever. Oh, I would better. We had a bunch of, our girl, a bunch of the girls that we knew all put their clothes together to do a you know, clothing. Uh, they did a clothing bundle so they could uh, donate to the uh, better women shelter I was working oh, yeah. at the time. And I'm like, oh, wow. honey, no fishnets, no fishnets, fishnets and, uh, rubber skirt. This is a terrible. Here's, this, terrible here's idea. a woman dealing with a rough one of the roughest times in her whole life. And here's this like, here's a plastic skirt for her. Right. right, you know. Uh, when am I going to wear this? Was, am I going to wear this on a job interview? I, I don't make light of their scenario. I'm, no. it just I felt completely shit tacky yeah. for going. Oh god. Why, oh. <laughs> um, that was the same way that I wound up with three cases of, of really decent wine. 
was somebody had donated, they were like some some independent vineyard had donated a bunch of uh, cases of wine to the shelter to do a fundraiser, like to generate money and all that stuff with. And they were just like, I can't really, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really feel it's like, yeah. here, here, we're going we're gonna to do a uh, open bar fundraiser for AA. <laughs> it was, it, it's a little yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, you know, but on, uh, I will say that the. What makes it easy for me, at both venues that I've been at, with the catch, it was easy because Jewel, by virtue of owning the building and living there and being there 100% outright, you know, like, whenever I want to do something, um, she was very hands-off. She'd just be like, uh, 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 literally, well, here's the keys. I trust you. I, I got a schedule to do a bartender. I schedule to do a, a security guard. I'll see you tomorrow. Let me know how it goes. You know? Um... Who we, else uh, gets that? Our first, yeah, our first Fourth of July party. You know, we did a Fourth of Although July. Although now party. I think you probably have that. Carrie and Tina in the kiddie pool in the parking lot. Yeah, we had yeah. barbecue outside. <laughs> yeah, that was we, You know, what other clubs gonna let you go right. and set up a barbecue in the kiddie pool in the parking right, lot? Right, you know? right, right. Uh, we opened at noon. Yeah. We were open until two. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, bartenders, you know, uh, Donovan had come in and made a fresh bowl of like real mai tai with fresh fruit. Kind of yeah, 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 nice. And we just hung out and parked the entire night. Yeah, and, that was uh, cool. You know, we were trying to do a fundraiser for Jules Clinic. The Chinese right. Site, the right. Chinese medicine clinic, and uh, it was funny because uh, you know we roll in, and she's like, "Oh yeah, go in the kitchen." I'm like, "All right, go in the kitchen." There's a keg of Newcastle. She's like, "You know, well, you said you want to do like a, a five dollar beer bus type thing." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Well, there you go." You know? I'm like, "Well, shit, I hope we make enough to pay for the keg." You know? Yeah. So by the end of the night, we broke even. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel really bad. She's like, "Well, everybody seemed to have a great time." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Well, that's all I give a shit about." You know, people had a good time. You got the word out about the clinic and. Uh, that's worth as much as any of the money that you could have brought in, you know. Yeah. Uh, she's always been really supportive. You're not going to find that with a yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I did my first Halloween party, the same thing. We broke even, you know. And it was, should have been a great night, and then just shit happened. And it didn't work out as well as I thought it would. And we, you know, just in spite of promoting the shit out of it, and all these great bands that came together, and I was able, I was glad because I was able to pay everybody out. I yeah. pay all the bands what they were worth. And at the end yeah. of the night, I sat there, and Jules sitting next to me, and, you know, the band, last band had been loading out, and I'm just like, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, because we'd split the door, and I'm like, well, I was really hoping that, you know, I could make you some extra money on that. And she's like, it was nice to not be closed for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so people came in, they had yeah. a great time. Like, for her, it was like, whenever it was me and her, it was always about, you. I want you to keep doing this because you have people that come in and they have fun, and the place is alive. And if the place is alive, it's one less night that we're dark. If we're dark one less night, then people see that there are things happening here. The worst thing that is to have a club and own a club and have it only open two nights a week. Right. You know, she's like, so whatever, you know, if you, if it doesn't cost me anything, then it's, it's, it's making good. you money. It's good. You know, mm-hmm. right. so she's always supported that way. John and, uh, and, uh, Mike. Right. Uh, Complex. Complex. I would imagine your relationship with them is, is, is I have a great relationship very, with them. And, yeah. and, but they're actually, they're very active about it. Like they, you know, we sit down and I don't want to go into details, but they will put money. If I put up money from that night, they'll match it or they'll find a way to, you know, they'll, they'll find a way to do drink specials or they'll find a way right. to do some sort of something on their end to contribute as well, right. you know, so that, you know, if I'm not making money off of it, you know, if I'm willing to not make a profit to be able to donate to something, they're willing, they're to, willing to match to what well. my contribution is. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, that there's not many places where you see that either, you know, where the venue is actively, you know. Uh, Allie White does uh, some things over three clubs. Uh, that's a whole other animal that, you know, with the things I do with her is more, I'm more of just a staff member. She really kind of puts that night together. But uh, she's also really active about uh, trying to do fundraising. So I've been cool. really lucky to be able to work with all these people that do really cool shit. Cool. So, yeah. That's awesome. 
Well, we're over an hour. Um, uh, what 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 do you what 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 out there in the world are you recommending, or do you want to just promote your your stuff that you do, or want just? Uh... Um, I recommend uh, um, Central Massage. Central Massage. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> uh, Ground Control, Mondays, Complex, No Cover, 21 and Over. Glendale. It's in Glendale, yeah. on Colorado Street in Glendale. Yeah, street parking, but lots of it. Um, they, uh, they have a thing, if you ride your bicycle, then your second beer is free. It's <laughs> always a smart thing, I like that deal, it's a smart yeah. deal. Second beer second, is free. Yeah, they always do second drink, second cool. beer. Cool. Um, they also have old speckled hen there with the actual nitrogen pump. Yes. Very few places in in America can you get actual English pub bitter. It's amazing. Yeah. Although it is too cold, but it should well, be cellar temperature instead of fridge temperature. But it's America, yeah. so. But America. What else? What do you? What else you got going on? Um. Well, let's see. Uh, my big things are the Monday night karaoke. Uh, Wednesdays over three clubs. Uh, for the month of October, we're over at the CA. For karaoke, no cover. I believe that's my right Do you over. have websites or Twitters or anything like Ground that? Groundcontrolkaraoke.com. Yes. Very uh, short. All as one word. Yeah. All one word. Control. You can the see K. the playlist and the nights and all that all stuff. Right, no, control the C, karaoke with a K. See, I always do that. I still do that. People still fuck me with that. Oh, oh, ground control with a K. No, it's not with a K. Because no. <laughs> control factor. Was right, it was with a K. Yeah, it's a big Two Ks. Yeah. What, uh, so, and then the, the Three Clubs night? Three you, Clubs is uh, Wednesdays, that's 21 and over, there's no cover there, um, that's a lot of fun. That's it's, on Vine in Hollywood. Yeah, it's on Hollywood and Vine, I would say, uh, we try, uh, there's an event that goes on before karaoke, usually, called Blind Date Project, which I highly recommend looking up, Blind Date Project, uh, it's really cool. Um, there's, uh, after that, uh, we usually get karaoke started after that by around 10. Uh, if you come out for karaoke to three clubs on a Wednesday night, I would suggest getting there by nine. And if, as soon as we get the door open, come in and turn in the song ticket because there's a group called We Make Movies that meets on Wednesdays, and they they, work, they meet about two blocks from there, and they all crawl over afterwards and uh, proceed to and take over the night. So it, within five minutes, the wait go, wait time goes from fifteen minutes to an hour and a half. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, there's that. Uh, there's uh, always Burning Man. There's always Wasteland Weekend. There's always many many other stories to tell. Cool. Well, we could always have you back on again. <laughs> so far, uh, Ash, what are you recommending this week? Um, I, I I really don't have much. I just have one. It's a it's a comic book called Saga. Uh, they're on on the second trade. Uh, it's really good. It's like cosmic. Uh, that's that's really it. I don't What's have much. the saga of? Uh, it's like this interdimensional being that interacts with. Someone that's normal. It's it's a really cool story. I don't want to ruin it for people, but it's really cool. It's getting really. It's been getting consistent great reviews. So, uh, yep. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been watching anything new this week. I've been watching. We've been we've been balls deep in Twin Peaks for three weekends. So, um, um, what with all the uh, chatter going on about the possible resurgence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, cool. That is one thing. I'm really hoping that that's going to be a thing. I would love to see Twin Peaks 25 years later, even though. So many people who were in Twin Peaks are now dead. Mm-hmm. The guy who played Bob, um, oh. um, yeah, there's a, Jack Nance. He was murdered after uh, after um, Lost Highway. He got murdered in between Lost Highway and Long Drive. And uh, wow. um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> that people. That sounds like a like an actual newspaper thing. Like he was murdered somewhere between Lost Highway and Long Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Three a.m. Yeah. <laughs> the intersection of Lost Highway and Long Drive. Right. Was spotted again um, the day before, two p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we've been watching. I mean, if you like Twin Peaks, it's on, uh, it's uh, uh, 
we've been watching the Blu-ray box set. I've also been watching X-Files again because I've been listening to the X-Files Files podcast. There I go promoting other podcasts again. Um, um, so, But that's all on Netflix. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really have anything oh, in terms uh, of... Uh, October, two things. Yes. Really quick. Uh, both are available online. Uh, I believe both are available in PDF format. Uh, one is... If you like the H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos sort of thing, there's a great book I highly recommend called Move Underground. Move Underground. Yes, and it is basically the general premise of the book is that uh, the uh, the 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 elder gods have come to generate their chaos and lay waste to humanity and begin the the you know Cthulhu apocalypse. And for some reason, well, for very specific reasons, uh, there are a handful of people who can actually stand against them because they. Uh, are not affected by the insanity that the old gods uh, emanate. They are people like William Burroughs and uh, mm, Timothy Leary. Interesting. Allen uh, Ginsberg. Uh, the Hunter S. Thompson, book, maybe? Or? Uh, I believe so. The protagonist is uh, Jack Kerouac. Oh, fantastic. The whole idea is that these, you know, they're like, oh my god, look, this giant tentacle alien thing. And, okay, so it's, and, and, and it's, League of, like, it's yeah, League of Extraordinary. It's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but with authors instead of instead of yes. uh, uh, fictional characters, yes. and it's instead of you know the, the World War One menace taking over the world or whatever. The industrial instead of fighting against the military industrial complex, you're you're yeah. fighting against Cthulhu and all yeah. his minions. Well, it's just it's the fact that these guys have all taken copious amounts of psychotropic drugs, and therefore when they see crazy things, they're just like, yeah, well, whatever, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're yeah, immune, I think I've seen that before. That's an interesting book. I saw it's that a great book. It's a great book, and it, it go and it goes like seventies Ditko weird sideways. Fantastic, amazing. What and what Not was the other? Book oh, either, so. what was the other thing you were? Uh, the other thing is, oh god, I cannot remember the name of it, but it's easy to find with these clues. It is a Russian book. Mm-hmm. It is a Russian author. Uh, it is available in English, and it is a. Uh, uh, it is a story with the premise that because we know that history is always written by the victors, uh, it is the true tale of the War of the Rings, as told by Mordor. Wow. What? Yeah. So you really Lord get a better Rings. idea of how shitty and shifty and conniving the hobbits and the elves and the dwarves <laughs> and the humans are. Wow. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. The, or, uh, the, the term orc comes from this other term that is basically a racist slang term for lower men. Oh. Uh, yeah. There's this whole, there's a class struggle and there's a race struggle and there's this whole... kind of like, uh, kind of like uh, Wicked where you're you're seeing the story from the perspective yes. of El Or even, or even uh, uh, Maleficent. Or even Maleficent has yeah. that. Yeah, Maleficent has that as yeah. well, yeah. What was the one that was the, uh, the, uh, the story of Arthur is told by Le Fay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that no. I know what you're talking you know about, but I don't remember what it's called. That's not Avalon, is it? It might be. The, the French book? There was a French book called uh, The Mists of Avalon. Mists of Avalon, maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was French, and it was all, yeah. It was yes. it was the, the Arthurian legend, but told from the perspective yeah. of Morgan Le Fay, yeah. So, yes. Uh, so, told so by the bad guy. Move Underground. Uh, H.P. Lovecraft meets uh, beat poets and junkies <laughs> nice. in a wonderfully awesome way. Yeah. And uh, the other book, whose name I cannot remember, but it is a Russian book based on the Lord of the Rings as told by the actual good guys. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not the mics. Cool. Stuff. Well, Andrew, thanks. Thanks, uh, everybody. Um, where are, are you? Where can we find you online other than those websites? Like the, the um, do you, are Ground you on... Control has a uh, Facebook page. Uh, Grand, I think it's uh, Grand Control LA is our Twitter. Uh, there's uh, oh god, um, 
that's the bulk of it, really. Okay. Uh, softrock.net is not in the current name. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Battle, uh, of, the Battle of the Soft Rock, rock DJs, DJs, but uh, yeah. we will talk about that again. Oh, that's something I'm very interested in. If, if we do this again, we have to talk about I, I meant to get around to it. I didn't get around to it. It was a non-consensual career. Oh, yes, yes. All right, cool. Uh, we're Something2XP on Twitter. Please, uh, please follow us. Please like us on Facebook or something to XP there as well. And always remember, please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Ash Jones and Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. You can find us online as Something2XP on iTunes, WordPress, and YouTube. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Email something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind. <laughs>